Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, David Hook shares from 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 to 25, the ninth part of the series, The Household of God. And now, here's David. Good morning. How many arrived here by automobile today? Bus, car, truck? Anybody that didn't come by one of those methods of transport? Nobody rode their bicycles this morning? <laughs> Nobody walked? No, we all, we all came by cars this morning. So we're going to play a little game, uh, and this little game is, you guess what I'm thinking. It just doesn't usually go very well with me. I, I, try, I try and teach uh, medical students in, in residence sometimes, and I get them to answer questions, and it always comes down to, guess what, the, what I'm thinking is the right answer, you know, it's not always successful, but, but there are two, two very important controls to your automobile, your car, your truck, uh, that are vital to get you here safely. Um, I'm thinking of two that are really not very prominent in sight. Can anybody guess what they are? Brakes. Who said brakes? Hey, good for what's, what's close to it? Accelerator, the gas. The two things that are sort of tucked down. On, you're very good at guessing. You want to come to the operating room? I can teach you some stuff. Too. <laughs> two very important controls that without which you wouldn't have arrived this morning, right? I, I don't know if you think about that. They're, they're, they're kind of out of sight. They're not really prominent, but they're really important. If you're not going to go anywhere without the gas, and you're not going to get there safely without the brakes, right? So you need both of these things. So the, 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 the idea is of that that one is sort of the reward, it's the accelerator that gets you going, and the other one is the, um, the restraining thing, the, the uh, thing that slows you down and, uh, and keeps things under control, the regulator. So there's the reward and the regulator. And these are the sort of the subjects broadly in our passage today out of 1 Timothy chapter 5. Specifically, Paul is applying them to church leaders, and he's telling Timothy, this is what you've got to do for the leaders to ensure the leadership is right for the church. So I thought a good title for this talk would be The Rewards, Regulation, and Recruitment of Elders. And then I thought, well, that's a kind of a dull title, isn't it? I mean, what, what kind of title is that? So I thought of a different one, and it's called The Care of Oxen. <laughs> and, and somebody just happened to write a book about this. Carmen Leg, so it's almost the title of that book. So I, that's my title of First Timothy, five, chapter, chapter five, verses seventeen to twenty-five. And you say, well, wait a minute, what does that have to do with the reward regulation and uh, recruitment of elders? And 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 are you saying that our elders are like oxen? Well, I can't speak for everybody, but for one here, probably yes. Uh, and and can you do that? Uh, so on behalf of the elders, I apologize for the rest of my elders group for making this metaphor. But it's not my fault. Paul started it, okay? Paul started it, and it's his fault. So let's read the passage, and you can sort of figure out maybe where I'm getting this metaphor from. Here's the, the verses that we're looking at this morning. Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you must not muzzle an ox 
ox, there it is, to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. Do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it is confirmed by two or three witnesses. Those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. This will serve as a strong warning to others. I solemnly command you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the highest angels to obey these instructions without taking sides or showing favoritism to anyone. Never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Drink only water. Don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you are sick so often. Remember the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. But there are others whose sins will be, not be revealed until later. In the same way, the good deeds of some people are obvious and the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. So, as you've read there, there's, Paul uses a metaphor taken from the Old Testament about oxen. And he compares the oxen and elders in that metaphor. And he gets this from a verse out of Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. And it's tucked in the middle of a bunch of other laws and it has seems no connection to any of them. And just this verse, you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And, the, and the, that law comes from a picture like this where the oxen are used to just walk round and round as, other, as they put the grain sheaves in there and they tread on the grain and it, and it threshes the grain out. And I guess then you have to collect the straw and shovel up the grain after, it's after the oxen done. But it's their weight and their ability to just go round and round and keep working and working and working that the harvest is done. And Paul says, that the law that was there, you know, to let the oxen eat some of the grain that they're working so hard to make, to produce, uh, is, is a principle there that is applied to elders. And so he compares elders and oxen. Now, that verse must have meant something to Paul because he uses it First 1 Corinthians chapter 9, too, when he writes to the church in Corinth, and he applies it to himself then. He says, uh, you know... I'm like that ox, and, and I have the right to have stuff, uh, get some re- re- reward from my work as an, uh, an apostle. But he says, I don't use that right. I don't take it. But he uses that same verse and goes into it in more detail. If you want to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 sometime, check that out. So, tiny little law verse in, in the Old Testament, and Paul uses it this way. It makes you wonder... How creative you get with the Old Testament and, and its uses. And, well, that's a whole other talk. <laughs> but if Paul can compare himself to an ox, then I don't feel so bad about talking about our elders as oxen either. So. so, there's a second reason I think we can comp- use this metaphor, and I can extend it throughout this passage that we read a little bit, if you'll allow me to do that. There are some interesting things about oxen that I think that makes a, a pretty good metaphor for elders. Now, just a few things about oxen that you may or may not know. They're the same as cattle, right? But oxen are just trained cattle. So it's the same species. I'm a little bit familiar with that. I grew up on a farm. We had a whole bunch of these animals on our farm. And uh, we didn't train many of them, but, but we got kind of used to being around them a lot. We did train a few of them, tried to when we were younger. It, you know, you had this, I don't know if you've heard of the 4-H club where you... you, you <laughs> do silly things like you just try and train one of these animals so you can show it in a ring and win a prize, you know, like, okay, this, 
this thing you're in your little and uh, anyway. They uh, they were widely used throughout history as a source of power and still are, I think, in places. And they were the trucks and the tractors of the economy, right? They they were the power source for for what was being done. And we saw that, that they were the threshing machines. They also plowed the, the fields and uh, did all sorts of them, pulled the wagons and all of those things. So they're they're big and they're strong. They can be up to a ton. Um, and they they really are fit for, for work, right? Working is a good thing and, and that sort of fits with elders because elders are called upon to work and they have to have that stamina. We have a, excuse me, we have a little bit of a a fun time sometimes with our orthopedic surgeons. We say they're like strong, like an ox, you know, and twice as smart. (laughs) And they come back with some other rate back. But but anyway, the idea that they, they have the power and they have the strength. Now, you've heard the expression, they're dumbest an ox, right? Uh, but that apparently isn't a very fair expression to oxen. They must uh, admit that they are actually quite an intelligent uh, species, and they have the intelligence of, say, a dog. And we have a little dog here who's helping. But a, a, a helper ox would not, would not be good. You know, like, so dogs have their place, but oxen have their place as well. And they, are, uh, they can learn very well, and they can... Uh, um, be useful and under, uh, knowing what to do and uh, knowing how to do things. And then sort of string when I was sort of looking at things like that, did you know that on the Oregon Trail, you know, if you've seen the, the movies where the settlers went across the country with their covered wagons and their wagons were pulled by in your movies, always horses, right? In the movies, it's always horses. In reality, about three quarters, at least, of the animals that pulled those wagons were oxen, but you don't put them in the movie because they're not quite as flashy as the horse, right? But they were the the steadier animal. They were also somewhat stronger, and I also found that they were less likely to be stolen because people didn't steal your ox, they stole your horse. So (laughs) for those sort of reasons, the Oregon Trail was a place where oxen were pulling uh, the wagons across. So where there's work to do, oxen are a pretty good choice. And it's, it seems reasonable, to, somewhat reasonable, to compare elders to oxen. Paul does. And, and it's a bit more positive metaphor than, than maybe first meets the eye. Well, let's look at Paul's message to Timothy concerning oxen. Okay, so the first thing that Paul says to do is to reward your oxen. Now, you, you have to feed them well, Paul says, that, that oxen are, are uh, important to feed. And he says, elders, you need to respect them that, and you need to provide the environment for which elders thrive in. And you can't do this if you don't give them what they need. Now, respect is probably the most important part of the elders' needs, but also they have some others and we can t- talk a little bit about that. But I want to just stop and say that BFA is wonderful for this point, right? You folks at BFA, really the elders feel very respected and you always affirming us and, and I really appreciate that. So well done BFA for your job in, in uh, rewarding your oxen. They, they feel the appreciation. So thank you very much. 
But uh, the, the oxen need a, a well-balanced diet. I used to have to go and feed them when I was in high school, especially that was my chore to run out and feed the oxen, the cattle. We didn't have them trained. And uh, they were quite a chore to feed, but I noticed three things or a few things about them. They, they have their likes and their dislikes, but their well-balanced diet is necessary. We used to feed them hay, for example. We'd pull the hay bales down, put it in the manger. Not many, ox, not many cattle would come running for the hay. You know, okay, they kind of munch on that later on during the day, but they, they didn't get excited about hay. You know. So then we would throw down the corn silage and put it in their manger, and that they got a little bit excited about because, uh, you know, this fermented corn silage, and they, they kind of like that stuff, and they would come and put their heads in and start eating, like these, these cattle on the screen behind me. But then if we put some uh, powdered grain, like cr- crushed oats and barley, then they would shove each other out of the way to get to that stuff, right? So like, they would really, really want that, and that was that one. So, you know, like, respect is good. We need that respect. Constructive criticism, maybe we need that too, not so palatable, a bit like, hey, you know, like that. Uh, flattery, on the other hand, is probably too sweet and too fattening and especially goes to the heads of elders that so they shouldn't, shouldn't be too much uh, treated with sweet, overly sweet stuff. So, so a good balanced diet for your, for your oxen is important. And, and don't poison your oxen, please. Don't, uh, you know, what can poison the atmosphere, the environment of your oxen while grumbling about what's going on? Unhelpful, destructive criticism and second-guessing and gossip. These things are sort of poisonous to, to leadership. They make life difficult and they would dishearten the elders. So don't, don't mix that in with the diet. Anyway, uh, it's good. So Paul says that even you even need to pay them sometimes. Some of them, especially the ones that are working hard and probably have given up uh, their jobs or part of their jobs, they may need income to do this work of leadership. And that's not wrong. That's an important part of, uh, of providing leadership. So you have to, to meet their needs in that way too. Now, at elders at BFA, all of us, have, I think, have just, like Paul says, that may be a right, but we don't exercise that right because we all have other sources of support. And so we don't need to pay elders, but it's not wrong to pay them either. And Paul says that if there's a financial need, that should be part of the reward for being an elder. So no one here at this assembly, no leader is really asking for financial aid, but that is a consideration for some churches, and Paul includes it here. I think another thing that would reward the elders is to lighten the burden as much as possible. And it's back to the wagon train settlers. They would often walk beside their wagons and so that they would offload those wagons. But they wouldn't put, pile everybody on the wagon and say, okay, get going, oxen, drag us along. They would actually walk alongside so that the oxen wouldn't have as big a, a weight to pull. And I think there's a lot of that that goes along at uh, for the leadership, we feel the support. We feel the other people pulling along with us and, and uh, giving us a push or pull or whatever. The support is there, and I think that offer of assistance makes that yoke a lot easier to bear when, when there's others that are pulling alongside, and that's important for uh, the providing the right reward 
for elders and the environment to make them work. Now, there's the other uh, next point is that you need to regulate your oxen. So oxen are um, harnessed to work and they need that harness to regulate their power so that it's in the right direction. But there are some dangers in mind, to keep in mind, you know, about uncontrolled power uh, you know, is, is destructive. Think nuclear energy, for example. You've got a nuclear reactor, it works and it turns on our lights. But if nuclear reactors go haywire, it's totally destructive, right? It's total destruction. But you can imagine an ox that uh, you're, you're, here's one of us, no, this wasn't me, but it could have been, you know, trying to show your animal. This, this thing is only, it's only a small ox there, you know, only about five or six hundred pounds. And you're, you're, you're kind of pushing a hundred pounds maybe. And if that thing takes off, uh, you're just not going to be able to stop it. I have a kind of a, a memory of that happening to my brother when he was doing this and sort of hanging on and being dragged along through the yard. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that animal's just not going to stop if it's out of control. So you need to have some way of, of, of regulating the power that's involved in oxen. That with unregulated power can be very, very destructive. I'd like to, to say, you know, that Paul was overly worried here that he, he wrote these instructions about the regulation of elders and leadership and, and nothing ever needed to be said about it again. I would like to say that, but unfortunately that has been far, far from the truth and this, this little section has been extremely important for the church, but poorly applied, I would have to say. And it's, it's a bit of a, a, a very big blight on the church to know that often the leadership has been unregulated and poorly regulated and often destructive. And you don't have to go very far to think of some examples, recent or remote examples of these problems and how they have not been dealt with well. I just went through some of the headlines from Christianity Today. These are just recent examples of church leaders who have gotten into trouble and you can read their names, but and you can go to the news and read about them. This man, they concluded, had been guilty of arrogance, responding to a conflict with quick temper and harsh speak, speaking and speech, and leading the staff and elders in a domineering manner. And another article said, and a lot of people were being hurt. Here's another gentleman. Uh, According to the findings, Heibel's verbally and emotionally intimidated both female and male employees while church board members were unable to provide effective oversight to keep him accountable or regulated. Heard that man speak. He's a very fine speaker, too, and he's a tremendous worker, but there needs regulation, too, just like everybody. This man, in the midst of efforts to reconcile with longtime critics, Harvest Bible Chapel fired its founder and senior pastor for engaging in conduct contrary and harmful to the best interests of the church. And just a few days ago in our own CBC news, it's overwhelming. Survivors create a public list of Catholic clerics accused of sexual abuse. In releasing the list, she said she is looking not only to validate survivors' stories, but also to hold the church accountable for what it knew about abuse by clergy 
and what action it did or did not take. And these, these sort of stories, incidents, are just all too common, right? And these are the ones you read about in mainstream media. Uh, but if you look across the, all the smaller churches, the unheard of stories, there are many, many stories of eldership and leadership failure. So it's a sad uh, but current topic. It's a, it continues to be a big problem for the church. And part of the problem is that Paul's instructions haven't really been taken too seriously, I think. Because in a lot of these stories, we, we hear that the, the problem was known about, but nothing was done. And, or it was tried to be covered up. Because we don't want to explain ourselves, right, when we have problems. That's not what we are instinctive. We want to cover it up. And the, the organizations are the same as leaders in that respect. But Paul says, no, it has to be brought out into the open and dealt with. So Paul's instruction for regulations says, don't listen to a solitary accuser. That protects the elder, or the leader from frivolous and, uh, you know, just people that are that are personally offended or bearing a grudge against that person. So that's a protection for the elders. But, but when there's two or three witnesses, that's something that needs to be then investigated. Now, it, Paul says, don't listen to a solitary accuser, but that, that word listen really means to accept as correct. But I think a solitary accuser in, in a lot of these situations should be listened to and enough to take down the note and then wait until another witness comes forward. So don't dismiss people who come with an accusation. They may be just the first of the witnesses to come. So that's an important. But don't take that as the, the uh, accepted fact until there's more evidence. But the offense and the offender, Paul says, must be made public. It has to be dealt with in the open. And this really goes against our instincts that I was just saying. We want to keep our flaws hidden. We may be afraid that we're going to damage the reputation of the organization. But, but Paul says that's less of importance than dealing with the problem. It has this public exposure has a couple one is that Paul says that it warns others. You know, it's a, a real warning to people not to, to get off track like that, not to get out of control. So it has that preventive measure. But I think it's also healing. And a number of the stories from these incidences and others, you hear of people being hurt and, the, and they weren't being listened to and, and the problem went on and festered. It's like putting a, a dressing over an abscess. You know, like, oh, I've got a big red spot on me. I'll just cover it up. Well, that's not going to do any good until somebody gets in there and actually allows that, that uh, festering abscess to open and drain. And it has to be that way for healing. So without that, there's not really any, uh, any way that healing can begin. So Paul's advice here is very uh, important. More than advice, it's a commandment, he says, and it's a serious commandment to be taken seriously. Did, did this ever happen in in our biblical uh, record, did we ever see anything like this taking place? Well, I think so. I think there's uh, uh, an interesting account of Peter and Paul. And uh, Paul has to rein in Peter the ox here. And uh, and we can read about that in, um, in 
in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 4. It's kind of an interesting uh, incident. I think it's, it, it sort of shows some of what we've just been talking about. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter, in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have been have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follower these Gentile Gentiles follow the Jewish tradition? So in this example, Peter is being a hypocrite. He's saying one thing and doing another. And, you know, this could get a little muddy, I suppose, as to when that happens. But Paul was absolutely correct that Peter was wrong in this way. And it came before everybody. And Paul, in front of everybody, made that corrective uh, change in Peter's behavior. And so I, I think Paul is here living out what he's trying to tell Timothy to do. And so I think that's a reasonably good example of uh, of this taking place in the in scripture. Some helpful observations about uh, about this sort of regulation. Um, one observation is that Paul says that in in the very first verse we read elders, and he didn't say the leader. He he pluralized that word, and and it's very uh, usually in a plural setting in the scriptures. In other words, oxen don't work alone very often. You put them in teams, right? You put them in a group. And that's kind of interesting because you think of that oxen that's out of control dragging you along. If you team him up with another oxen, then say, okay, take off, buddy. Now you've got to drag your other guy with you at the same speed. You know, it's not going to work as well. So some equal weight will balance out on the on the power thrust there, right? So it's uh, it's it's interesting that oxen are usually yoked together. Now you get someone one with a single ox cart, but when they're doing work they were almost always teamed together. And you can put two together or put four or eight in a in a in a group and have them all going. Um, it's very unlikely that one of that group is just go off on their own when they're all yoked together. So Paul makes it uh, evident that the elders are to work as a group, and that helps in a in a balancing of the effect. There's not one single one who's who's off running on their own, but the elders will be most effective working as a team. Paul then goes on to say, you know, avoid having your favorite oxen. So avoid these fractions and factions where one group follows this. And one group follows this, and then then you get this clashing of groups. So don't uh, don't favor one oxen over another, and and avoid this partisan politics, which makes it harder for to handle 
people with problems if there's these sort of alignments and things like that. And you just have to look a few minutes at any newscast recently and you'll see how hard it is to discipline a leader when party politics just override things, right? It's just like clashing of two things and nobody's looking at actually what the problem was that caused it. Like, you know, it's just a mess. It's, uh, it's impossible to get to the, to the, to fix the problem if that all happens. And remember that that uh, could happen even in these situations where where one is a favorite of the other and one's a favorite. And so you have these groups now opposing that just deter, tears apart the body of Christ. Remember that Jesus is the, the head of, of our organization, our body. He's the one who, to whom we give allegiance, not to any single person. And uh, there are no factions under him. They're all, everyone is, is under, under Christ. And he desires a, a unifi- unity of the body, not a, not a faction that, and broken dis, dis, um, dysfunctional body, but a, a very functional unified body. And these instructions are meant by Paul to Timothy to protect his church by regulating those who oversee his work. Finally, just a quick note that Paul uh, reminds you to recruit your oxen with care, you know, don't uh, just pick the strongest looking one out of the bunch and then put that one as, as your lead oxen on. It might not be one that goes in, his, in the way you want. It might not work out. How does Paul say it? You know, don't do it too quickly. Don't be hasty in, a play, in, a, in appointing leaders. Get to know them first. See what they uh, are like. What's their personality? What's their strengths? What's their weaknesses? Uh, observe how they handle other tasks before you put them in charge of the main tasks and see what they do. And uh, that's important because some things aren't evident on first look, Paul says. Some things you, you see right away, other things don't become evident until time passes and then you get to see what, what's happening. Same both with good and with bad qualities. Some people are, you may... Overlook them because you think, well, they don't fit. But, but when you have to go back and you see, look at what good they've been doing. And we didn't even know. And they, sh- they have a, a reasonably good spot to be a to leader. Others, look, they look like really good people. And then you find out that they've had problems. And you find that out only later. And you, if you've already made them a, a leader, then you've got a real problem to, to deal with. right? So better to have no one than the wrong one in these sort of positions. So I think in conclusion, you have to be ready to use both the accelerator and the brake. Both are important in making the journey and use them when appropriately. Reward your elders for, for their good and regulate when they need to be regulated. I must admit I'm inherently lazy and would rather let these roles fall to others. And these are difficult roles, but... but uh, and, and even my car now has dynamic cruise control. I, I, don't even, I don't even have to touch these pedals anymore when I just set that thing up. But that's not a good way for the church to practice. We have to be involved in this. We have to be active and, and, and watching to make sure that we encourage and make sure that we re- regulate when needed. So let's uh, keep these things in mind as, uh, as we uh, work together as a church to accomplish God's mission. Thank you for listening.
Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.